one wild weekend of games. No buys this week. So we saw a lot of action yesterday with some blowouts in the early window. Six games decided by more than one score. And speaking of six, that's how many games we had in the late window. How fun was that? And now we've got one more game to go today. And we'll get to that on this Monday edition of the NFL Roadshow with me. I'm Lindsay Rhodes. And with my guest today, who is like Doris Burke level goals for us women in sports. The princess of darkness, former Raiders CEO and CBS sports analyst, Amy Trask. Hi, Amy. Well, thank you for using my nickname, the princess of darkness. I shall forever cherish that. It is the best nickname ever in my view. And thank you for saying hi. Thank you for saying hi. And thank you for having me on. And I would like to admit right off the bat, that as much of a fan of yours as I am, and as much as I follow your work, and I do, it took me until this very moment to put together Rhodes and Rhodes Show. It just (laughs) clicked. Thank you. That's kind of you. You know what? It's funny, Amy, because at one point a while ago, I responded to you on Twitter, and I did not say, and hi, uh, which is customary when speaking with you on Twitter. And my brother texted me the second he saw it <laughs> and let me know that he was so mortified that I was his sister and that I didn't respond to a tweet with Amy Trask by saying hi. So uh, we even had a full back and forth about whether or not too much time had passed for me to correct that or whether it would look weird several hours later responding. Anyway, so the and hi thing has just taken over. I like that you are, you've created this polite atmosphere on Twitter, which that's, that's pretty hard to do. Well, first of all, I love your brother. He's my new best friend. (laughs) So please tell him I say hi. Uh, You know what, Lindsay, it's something I do. um, And I've done my whole life. When I'm walking down the street and I walk by someone, I say hi. If I see someone in an elevator, I say hi. If I see someone in a lobby, I say hi. And I consider Twitter to be Twitter street for our Twitter village. So I like to say hi on Twitter street, just like on any street. And the reason I may sound a little distracted right now is we may have massive interference from all the animals that live in this house any moment right now. They're all making an appearance and they're running around like crazy. So if I look distracted, that's why. How many animals are there? At the moment, there are two cats running like crazy through this room, playing with their toys. And there's a little dog, well, not a little dog. It's the neighbor's puppy is in our house right now. I'm caring for it. And the puppy is running like crazy too. So you, you with the animals that you already have, just take on whoever in the neighborhood she had an door. she, she did have policy. a little yeah absolutely i will take any animal in any time um and she had a little bit of a need for help this morning so i'm puppy watching during our podcast i love this uh excited to get your thoughts on all that we learned yesterday in the football world because i think a few things became potentially clearer with regard to the playoff picture um a few teams maybe fell out of the playoff picture including one you used to work for though they're formally still in it. Let's go ahead and break the huddle. All right, let's start with the latest news to come out of the games on Sunday. We have a firing. We have a couple of big injuries. The Raiders moving on from defensive coordinator Paul Gunther. That came out last night after his defense gave up 44 points and 456 yards to the Colts, who looked outstanding 
Raiders had no answers for Jonathan Taylor. And it's not the first game that they found themselves in that spot. The Raiders allowing 37 and a half points per game in the last four. It sounds like Alex Smith has a mild calf strain. So that's fairly good news with regard to him. He might be okay to play next week. It's not sounding like Matthew Stafford will. He's being described by Ian Rappaport. Uh, according to his sources, as being in unbelievable pain. He has a rib injury, potentially plural, as we found out much further down the road uh, where Drew Brees is concerned. So it is possible that Matthew Stafford, what with the the regime change going on there in Detroit, has played his last game with the Lions, and we'll be tracking that this week. Doug Peterson this morning still not willing to commit to Jalen Hurts for next week's game, though he was willing to offer a little bit more praise for the quarterback than he did last night when he described Hurts as having been, quote, part of the win over the Saints. Uh, it was a big win. And a few others that affected the standings worth mentioning. Washington moved into sole possession of first in the NFC East. They are, in my opinion, the best team in that division by a lot. Not quite as good, though, as the Packers, who clinched the NFC North and moved into the top spot in the NFC, or the Chiefs, who clinched the AFC West and took the Steelers' place atop the AFC. The Steelers, Amy, who dropped their second game in a row, they're just collecting injuries on defense, also have a few issues on offense, like their inability to run the ball. What's your level of concern about them? You know, look, it would be silly not to be concerned. I don't know that my level of concern is as high as that of some people because some of these injuries may get better over the next few weeks. But there is concern, of course, as I know you know, about Ben Roethlisberger and his knee and some other issues. And that's something to keep our eyes on. The fact that they are not running the ball, and I get it that they, they've they established that the, what they like about their offense is their ability to throw the ball. Um, they have those three very good receivers, and they use their short passing game as a run game. But for the last few weeks, it feels like maybe defenses have figured out ways to slow that down or stop it. And I'm concerned about the fact that last night they had 17 rush attempts for just 47 yards. Their lead rusher had 18 rushing yards on 10 carries. That, of course, was James Conner. Meanwhile, they threw the ball 37 times. Are they going to be able to have success in the postseason with that type of imbalance? Or do they need to commit to getting the run game going? I think your use of the word imbalance is terrific because everything works together. The better you run the ball, the more you're able to pass. The better you pass, the more you're able to run the ball. I mean, look, it's 11 on 11. There's 11 defenders. If the defenders believe they need only defend one aspect of the game, it makes it very hard to succeed on offense. If the defense has to worry about a balanced attack, about defending against the run as well as against the pass, you're going to have an easier time on offense. Similarly, short ball versus long ball. You know, a lot of people talk about throwing deep. Well, it's wonderful to throw deep and have it work, but there's also a value in throwing that ball up the field at times, if only to back defenders away from the line of scrimmage. So all of it is connected and being able to do everything or the threat of being able to do everything is important. 
Well, we see that with the Titans, right? And then there's the whole argument about how valuable running backs are in the NFL. And I just can't move away from the fact that even though the analytics tell you that throwing the ball is a more productive and efficient way to move the ball downfield and that the value is in that aspect of your offense, there is obviously a value to wearing down a defense in the way that a Derrick Henry can do it. And yeah, I think there's a lot of value um, for all the reasons you just stated, as well as there's going to be times you play in situations in elements which make passing harder, whether it's the field condition is sloppy and messy and you can't get great footing as a receiver off the line or the quarterback is struggling with footing, or the weather, or the wind, or the moisture, whatever it is, the running game is especially important in those instances. And you're absolutely right. It can be debilitating and demoralizing to a defense to have an offense just running that ball down its throat. I saw it during my career. It just you know, to use an expression that I I don't know, it's a great expression in this instance, but it takes the wind out of a defense's sails. And, And it is important. And yes, look, analytics is a tool. It is one tool. If you're building a house, you want to use every tool in your toolbox. You don't want to say, I'm going to build this house and just use a hammer or just use a screwdriver, or just use a saw. You want to use every single tool available to you to do the best job. Analytics is a tool, but I don't think you should only use one tool. It's funny we're talking about the Steelers and the fact that they didn't establish a ground game last night, um, or at least that's what I appear to be very focused on. Uh, But yet the Bills, I should point out, who won that game and will receive a lot of praise today, including from me, they also didn't get the get their ground game going. Um, They haven't really been able to establish much with Devin Singletary or Zach Moss. And yet they're able to find a way to win the game. And so we're not as focused on that today. I do really like this Bills team. I like I like Josh Allen for reasons that I'm not totally able to articulate because he is a little bit of a roller coaster, less so though this year than he's been in years past. But the arm, the fact that he can throw the deep ball, he's obviously established a great connection with Stefan Diggs, which we saw on display last night. Uh, The fact that he can add that added element on the ground and is a threat there. They fell out of the conversation, I think, after those loss to the Titans and the Chiefs, but they have really quality wins under their belt. Amy, if you look at their schedule, they beat the Dolphins, they beat the Rams, they beat the Raiders, they beat the Seahawks, they beat the Cardinals, they beat the Niners, they beat the Steelers. Is this a team that we need to be giving a little bit more love to in terms of the national conversation and the AFC playoff picture race? You know, I, I fall in the category of people you're describing, um, that Me category, too. that category being people who perhaps haven't been giving them enough of a of enough love to use your word earlier in the season. I've been a little bit hesitant to come around on that last night was and, and not for any particular reason. It's not that I think they're a poor team. It's not that um, I had negative things to say. I just wasn't as sold on the team as others were. And in fact, uh, my, um, my teammate on, on that other pregame show, Adam Shine, is 
a tremendous, tremendous advocate of the bills, and he has been supporting them and talking them up for, for quite a while. And because I'm a contrarian, I think that in part my resistance to coming around on the bills has just been due to my contrary nature. Um, but they certainly do deserve a hard, hard look as a very, very good team. And, you know, you mentioned Stefan Diggs. What a tremendous, tremendous addition this offseason that has improved that team, you know, to use a word I've just used six times in a row, tremendously. Yeah, he obviously is exactly what they needed for Josh Allen to kind of unlock some things in him as a quarterback. How about the Saints in the NFC coming off an upset loss to the Eagles and their brand new rookie, Jalen Hurts, who along with Miles Sanders snapped a 56-game streak that the Saints had going of not allowing a 100-yard rusher. All of a sudden, they've allowed two to Miles Sanders and Jalen Hurts. Hurts, who had 106 on the ground and 115 uh, Sanders had. Do you have concerns about the Saints? You know, not yet. No, I no. don't. And when I watched Do that game. Do you like game, Taysom? Well, um, number one, when Taysom was named the starter in Drew's absence and people were sort of going crazy, my first thought was, you know what? Sean Payton deserves the benefit of the doubt. Yeah. This man has earned the benefit of the doubt. So if he is telling people that in his judgment that was the right decision, as I said, he's earned the benefit of the doubt. As to the game yesterday, the entire time I was watching the game, one word kept coming to mind, and it is a word I heard umpteen times throughout the course of my career in the National Football League, and that word is parity. Parity is the concept around which the league is designed. The notion that on any given day, in any given game, any given team can beat its opponent. And that's what we saw yesterday. Look, nobody thought two weeks ago that Washington would beat Pittsburgh, and Washington did. Nobody thought, and when I say nobody, I, I mean for the most part, people didn't yeah. think Washington would beat Pittsburgh, and people didn't think that Philadelphia would beat New Orleans. But that's the way the league is designed. And I spent countless hours in league owners' meetings listening to and participating in this discussion about the importance of parity from the perspective of the league and that the league wants fans of every team to know that in any game, its team has a chance. And so the entire time I was watching that game yesterday, I was thinking, there you go, parity. You can't assume in any game that one team is going to win. It's funny because I found myself, I've kind of fallen out of watching college football as much as I used to because I'm so focused on the 32 teams in the NFL and I kind of just need one day off from football. But I've taken in a little bit of college football this year and I found myself watching uh, some games this weekend and I thought this would never happen in the NFL. Just the fact that there is that lack of parity for obvious reasons. There's so many college football teams and they're kind of all over the map. But the way that things play out on the college football field and the fact that a team can just get blown out. I mean, you talk about like a 10-point line in the NFL is a huge line like that, that we all kind of say, I don't know if anybody can cover a 10-point line, but you have teams getting blown out right and left in college football. It really is uh, just a slight difference if you can make that one change. And that's, I think, why Eagles fans have been clamoring for Jalen Hurts because if he does provide a spark, all of a sudden they have a chance to upset any given team. And on this particular Sunday, it was the Saints, a really good team. Well, you're right as to that. And one comment as to your thought on college, and you probably saw me nodding as you were saying it and perhaps even grimacing. 
one thing that bothers me tremendously about college is when you see a college that you know has absolutely positively no business being on the field with another college. And yet the administrators at that college do it for the paycheck. And to put young athletes in that position where you're essentially marching them into that game, knowing that they are going to get utterly trounced and you're doing it for the payday. And you know what? I'm about to, I'm not a hot take girl, but here's a little rant for you. The fact that college administrators continue to say they're student athletes, they're student athletes. You're not treating them in that manner and you're not treating them correctly. When you send a college in to play a college, it should not be playing. Thank so, you for uh, thank you for coming to my TED talk. Well, that's it. That's your <laughs> TED talk. What would you do then if you were in charge of one of those colleges, per- particularly let's say not the the high end college, right? Like not from a Power Five conference, but you are uh, an administrator for one of the the teams that's trying to get that payday by playing the the better, more high profile team, but also. Uh, exposure for your program and all that kind of stuff. How do you handle that if you're an administrator for that team and the opportunity arises? If I had the authority to make the decision, I would not send my team into a game in which I knew they had absolutely no positive, uh, positively no chance of an outcome other than utter, utter devastation on the football field. Number one, it's not fair to the athletes. Number two, you're risking their, you know, you're risking injury. You're risking compromises to their health. Um, I wouldn't do it. If I didn't have ultimate authority to make the decision, I would do everything I could to convince the people who did have that authority. Look, at the end of the day, you cannot sit there and look me in the face and tell me that this is about putting the student part of student athletes first. If you're going to send athletes into a situation where they are just going to be demolished. And look, I'm not talking about not sending them into a game they may not win. I'm talking about the games we've seen where you're sending a team in and it's almost like you want to watch the game kind of like this because you can't even bear to see it, the, you know, the difference between the teams on the field. I wouldn't do it. I don't think it's the right thing to do. You're risking injury and it's just, it's, it's, it's hypocritical to say, we care about the students and to do that because no, in that instance, you care about the paycheck. Speaking of watching games through your fingers, I am wary of even going down this road because they finally got a win. And I really want to celebrate that the, the Los Angeles chargers, um, they had one play at the end of the first half that I just can't get out of my mind with 20 seconds left. They're at the Falcons eight. They don't have a timeout and they run the ball on third and one. So the clock doesn't stop and they try to frantically get their field goal unit on the field before time expires. But some of the offensive players stay on the field. It's a cluster. They don't get the ball off. They don't get the points. And as mentioned, I'm watching through my fingers at home. How do they continue to have these types of mistakes? Amy, is there any kind of reason that you can point to uh, as somebody who's been in a front office and is familiar with how things happen here? Look, as I often say, and, and I tweeted it again yesterday after that very play that I too was watching through my fingers across my face, um, there are reasons that a team will lose a game that are understandable. 
if there are personnel mismatches, if you've got holes in your roster, either because your roster is lacking in certain areas or due to injury. Look, we understand those are reasons that you're going to lose a game. And while you never want to lose, those reasons are understandable. Losing a game because you don't understand situational football, losing a game because you don't know how to do clock management, using it, losing a game because you can't count to 11. It, those are not reasons a team should lose. Um, as you noted, yesterday the Chargers did win. I'm thrilled for them, but they had to overcome that clock mismanagement, yes. that lack of understanding of situational football. In a number of times this season and last season, they haven't been able to overcome those gaffes. Look, last week, there were three instances in which they didn't have 11 men on the field for special teams plays. Twice on punt returns, they had 10 men on the field. One time on a punt return, they had 12 men. I don't know, maybe they thought law of averages. You put 10, you put 12, you do the math, <laughs> and you got 11. But you know, we're averaging should, 11 men on the field per punt. Right. There you go. <laughs> um, but, you know, only you're really not because you had 10 men twice and 12 oh, men God. once. And I'm not going to do the math right now. But my point is you should never lose a game because you don't know how to manage the clock or because you don't understand situational football or because you can't get 11 men on the field. Look, the Chargers have, I think it's 25 coaches. Just take one of them and say, stand right next to the head coach and be in charge of clock management. Stand yeah. right next to the head coach and count to 11 every play. Mm -hmm. I just, it's, there are reasons you're going to lose games. That should never be one. So what's the best way to handle that? Okay, because they've, we've heard that they're not going to make a coaching change until the off season. Some teams tend to handle these types of situations like that. We're just going to wait. We don't see the benefit in making the change now. Some teams want to get ahead of the competition, maybe start their coaching search a little bit earlier so that they can start reaching out to people, whatever the various reasons are. And you would know those reasons better than I because you've been involved in some of those conversations. What's the best approach to handling situations where it looks like there is going to be a coaching change probably uh what's your thoughts on what the the best timing should be uh you know as as you just noted we don't know if they will make a change perhaps yes. they will perhaps they won't and as to timing it really depends on in my view a few factors if you're going to make a coaching change whether in season or after the season you better ask yourself the question and do what and the answer to that question needs to be at least as good as the status quo, and one would hope far better than the status quo. So a team that is going to say, I'm going to make a coaching change in season, and do what? Do you have someone on your staff who can assume that role? Will that be at least as good as things are now? Will it be better than things are now? And are you going to use the additional time to start getting ready to jump on a coaching search as soon as the season ends and as soon as league rules permit so that you can have you know, an edge, if you will, on the competition for coaches? If you don't have someone on hand who you believe can step in and handle the responsibility, and if you are not going to jump on this and start acting immediately, or if the fact that you have a coach on staff you may replace won't deter you from acting immediately, you know, then I don't know that there's magic to making a change in season. Um, if you do think that you can fix things a bit by making a change more quickly and that you can get a jump on things for next year, then sure, go ahead and do it. I don't think there's any one-size-fits-all answer. 
Well, we've still got two more teams left in the playoff mix that we have yet to see this week. We'll uh, share our thoughts on the Ravens and Browns coming up, plus this week's MVPs after a quick break. And we're back with 15 games in the books. Time for our favorite performances, Amy, our week 14 MVPs. Amy, the Chargers kicker might have provided me my favorite moment of the day yesterday because he actually made the field goal at the end of the game to win a game for the Chargers instead of lose it for them at the last second. And I was on pins and needles hoping that they didn't find a way to lose another one that was in reach, but he's definitely not my MVP. I've got a few people in mind here. Who was your favorite performance of the day? Boy, you know, I, the reason you, you know, you probably saw me looking like a deer in the proverbial headlights is I don't know that I have a particular MVP in mind. I feel like the kid who's being called on in an oral exam and okay. I don't know the answer to the test. So Let- it would take too long for me to do this the way I normally would, which is to think back through every single game. So give me multiple choice. Okay. Okay, how about, uh, I'm going to throw a couple of low-end guys that jumped out at me that I think probably are not going to be talked about, uh, you know, ad nauseum this morning, but who maybe let's shine a light on them on the defensive side of the ball because nobody talks about the defense. Uh, Hassan Reddick, who set a Cardinals franchise record with five sacks. He had five sacks in one game, Amy. No, you could definitely point to the Giants and the fact that Daniel Jones was clearly hobbled with that hamstring injury and not able to protect himself on the field uh, as part of the reason that there were so many sacks in that Cardinals game. But that was a big one for the Cardinals to kind of keep them in a playoff race that was slipping away from them in the last few weeks. Uh, Hassan Reddick also had three forced fumbles in that game. So let's shine a light on him. Yes. Okay. You've way, got one. I, no, I love that because I do love defense and I always skewed defense rather than offense. So I love that. Now, are we allowed to go back to Thursday's game and include? Oh yes, you're well? allowed to do. Okay, then anything gonna, you want. Then I'm going to throw in Aaron Donald, not simply Ugh. for his performance in the game, which we know was magnificent, but for lead blocking on that pick six, because to see Aaron Donald lead blocking was <laughs> just magnificent. So I'm going to add Aaron Donald to that mix, and I do have one to throw in also, and then I'm going to turn it back over to you because I'll be out of ideas. I'm going to add Andy Reid as an MVP, as a coach. Oh. Because the way that game started, he had to just maintain his equanimity, be calm, stay focused, get that team focused. And yes, Patrick Mahomes deserves a ton of credit for that, but I'm going to throw Andy Reid into the mix. Yeah, it was actually a one of Patrick Mahomes' not-so-good games this year. He had... From a turnover standpoint. Right. I was simply saying that um, in addition to keeping everybody calm and focused, oh, yeah, yeah. I thought I thought Patrick did a good job of trying to keep the team calm and focused. But yes, I recognize your point, of course, as to his performance. But I'm throwing Andy Reid in the mix. Yeah, I like that. Uh, and uh, I'll throw, uh, just since we're talking coaches and not MVP of the week, but how about Brian Flores and the job that he has done then, down there with Miami? Because... They have turned into a team that is a low-end playoff team that I'm kind of buying. And I think we saw it yesterday. They're not ready to beat uh, 
they're not ready. They're, they're not as good as the Chiefs, right? We all understand that, particularly on the offensive side of the ball, where they were missing tons of pass catchers uh, that make up for a, a, a huge part of their production this season. The Dolphins were not exactly at full strength on offense. Also, their running backs, Miles Gaskin out with COVID. I left him in a fantasy lineup. So, Yikes. Uh, but, um, <laughs> but, but the Dolphins' defense and the way that they've built that team is such that they can hang, I think, and even potentially beat any team in the league on any given Sunday. They've gotten to that point where that is something I think is a reasonable expectation. Like we saw yesterday, they hung in there with the Dolphins. They weren't able to pull it off because, I'm sorry, they hung in there with the Chiefs. The Chiefs are a much better team. But the fact that the Dolphins were in that game in the way in which they were, I think that's a team that could go to the postseason. I don't think they'll string wins together in the postseason against some of the better teams in the league, but I think that they could absolutely knock off anybody if they're able to get there. I think you make tremendous points, and I think there's two sides to the Dolphins' coin, if you will. I agree with everyone you, everything you said about this team can hang in with other teams. It can threaten very good teams. Brian Flores has this team on the right track. Agree with all of that. I will note, though, that when you look at their wins this season, of their wins, five of them have been against teams, you know, they beat the Jets twice, they beat the Bengals, they beat the Chargers. I, I don't remember who the fifth is, but five of their wins have been against, oh, okay, you got to beat them teams. Now, that said, I did just note that any team can beat any other team. So, you know, fair enough. They beat those teams. They've beaten some good teams. And you know what? They do show that they can threaten any team. So I guess that's sort of a long-winded, circular, not particularly well-stated way of agreeing with you that this team is on the edge, but not quite, quite there yet, but certainly headed in the right direction. And boy, that defense. Yeah. See, the, so I was on a Raider fan podcast last week, Raider Cody, uh, who says hi and wants to hear all about your uh, favorite ice cream flavor of the month, because that's a big thing. We'll get back to that in just a bit. But first, one of the things that I said about the Raiders, that I, I think that they're very good, but the thing that's holding them back right now, I, I, when you look at the team, there isn't one thing that they do where I go, they are so good at that. That's the thing that they do really, really well. And I love that about the Dolphins, I can at least point to something and say that defense, uh, every offense in the league, there isn't one that wants to play that Dolphins defense. So they are, they're building in such a way where they have a already a strength that is up there with the best in the league. I think they're the number two scoring defense in the league and the way that the Steelers are playing. And because of the injuries, they have a chance to end up at number one. So Shout out to Brian Flores. But anyway, back to the MVPs. Another player who deserves a nod is Jamal Adams, who set a single-season sack record for a safety yesterday. By the way, the team he did it against, his old team, the Jets, don't think he didn't enjoy that little extra cherry on top. Eight and a half sacks for a safety, Amy. I love, I love you adding him into the mix for all of those reasons. And you know what? It matters when a, when a player goes back and plays his former team, it matters. And I always laugh when players say, and, and I'm not suggesting this was Jamal, but you know, we hear players say, no, it really doesn't have any special meaning for me. Oh yes, mm -hmm. it does. At least if my almost 30 years in the league are any sort of statistical sampling, I will tell you it 
matters to players when they go back and play former coaches, former teams. Even when things didn't necessarily end on a sour note, it matters. So yes, yesterday mattered to Jamal and what an acquisition for the Seahawks. Some people have said the Seahawks overpaid. I don't buy it. Mm. They went out and got someone who made a difference and they did the same thing with Carlos Dunlap. So agree with you, Jamal should be in the mix. Yeah, they, I, I would argue they definitely didn't overpay considering how badly they've needed him this season. Agreed. Uh, if it was a vacuum situation, then maybe we could talk about whether he was worth what they gave up. But for them, he was. Derrick Henry ran for 215 yards yesterday, Amy. His second game over 200 on the ground this year. He's gone for 100 plus eight times. And because I am a big fantasy person, this is worth noting at 36.2 fantasy points, which was the most of the week so far. Derrick Henry just continues and he has the Jags number. Uh, That is not a matchup. They do not want to play him. Well, I can't imagine. Oh, you're right about the Jaguars. I agree with you. But I can't imagine any team wanting to face him. And I'm not a fantasy football girl. It's just not my cup of tea. But I will tell you that yesterday on our television show, we were asked to say, who's going to shine in games yesterday? And Derrick Henry was my pick for who will shine. And boy, oh boy, did he ever. And I love his comments from time to time when he says, and he did it again recently, it's not about me. It's not about my numbers. It's about winning. And I'm paraphrasing him. That's not an exact quote, but I think that's a tremendous outlook. And, um, you know, he, he was, I I wouldn't want to line up against him if I were any team, but yeah, he sure does love playing the Jags. This is a low-key MVP because it has nothing to do with football. It's just a shout-out that I want to give to J.J. Watt, who showed up for the game wearing his wife's soccer jersey. And I love this for a variety of reasons. Obviously, it's his wife, and so he's – but normalizing the celebration of female athletes by male athletes is something that I think can help turn the tide toward uh, making that something that is – more acceptable in society. There's no higher compliment than wearing another person's jersey, right? Like this is someone that I'm willing to represent. And so to have a male athlete uh, give that kind of love to a female athlete, again, uh, it's his wife. So I get it's a little bit different, but I love seeing that and I want to normalize that. It, It was neat to see. And as you noted, it was both a female athlete and his wife, someone who did it for a female athlete who's not his wife, is Russell Wilson. We saw him do that. Um, I don't remember whether it was before the start of the season or right about. I don't remember exactly when it was. But Russell Wilson has done that as well. And, um, you know, one thing my experience in working with athletes is the athletes with whom I worked didn't care about gender. You either performed or you didn't perform. And your point is very well taken as to normalizing that. Well, you would know better than most. I'm sure that uh, everyone, the amount of respect with which you are treated by everybody in the NFL, the reverence that people talk to you with, which is very well earned. And I kind of hate that it's even notable because uh, uh, I don't even think it's because of your gender. I don't think that that has anything to do with it. I think that you've just managed. How did you end up in a position when you did where you were uh, had the power that you had within the Raiders organization because it was not normalized then. You were a trailblazer at the time. Well, you are very kind to diplomatically not reference when 
your reference to when was, and I will therefore do it because many, many, many of your fans and your followers weren't even born back then. Um, and the reason I point that out is several fold. Um, the, the topic of women in sports, women in football, wasn't even a topic back then. I joined the Raiders in sort of the early part of the mid-1980s. And yes, kids, I know lots of you weren't born back then. It was about a million years ago or so, it seems. And I note that because what Al Davis did in hiring me at that time wasn't contemplated by other people. When I attended my first league meeting, it wasn't women in the NFL. It wasn't women in that owner's meeting. I was the only one there and Al didn't care. And so some of the people listening to this will be Raider fans. Some hate the Raiders. Some will have loved Al Davis. Some couldn't stand him. But if we're all being honest and fair, we can acknowledge that he did what others didn't do at that time. He hired without regard to race, gender, ethnicity, or any other individuality which has no bearing on whether someone can do a job. And I share all that, Lindsay, because I recognize my good fortune in having worked for him. And you know, he afforded me the opportunity of a lifetime for which I will ever, ever appreciate um, and thank him for so doing. And, and I'm smiling as you talk about the respect comment because Princess of Darkness was not a name bestowed upon me as a compliment. Mike Silver wrote an article, he was with Sports Illustrated at the time, and in it he quoted an anonymous source as saying, you know, we refer to her behind her back as the princess of darkness. And that was not intended as a compliment. But you know what? The Raider fans loved it. I loved it. We embraced it. And I shall forever cherish that nickname. I would have taken that as a compliment, though. I did. Sometimes non-compliments feel complimentary <laughs> because of what you're trying to project to the world, right? It feels respectful. It. You know what? I loved it. I still love it. I will always love it. I'm simply noting it was not intended as a compliment. And you know what? I didn't care. Do you have any interest in in going back to some sort of football leadership role at some point? Is there any no. pull out of TV to go back into a, a front office or the league office or anything like that? No. Um, look, I shall forever cherish the almost 30 years I spent in the National Football League with the Raiders, but I don't have an interest in going back. You know, Done. during um, during my career, I saw people pop from team to team to team. Or, and I'm not simply talking about coaches, but front office executives would be, you know, wearing the... Um, green of the Eagles one year, the red of the Chiefs the next year, the black and gold of the Saints the next year, they'd move around. And, you know, maybe it wasn't year to year, but my point being people would move from team to team to team. I was a Raider. And to mm. me, that was not fungible. Choosing to leave the Raiders was the hardest decision I've ever made in my life. And yes, I realize that that is a statement about how fortunate I have been in life. But that was the hardest decision I ever made and it was the right decision. But to me, being a Raider wasn't fungible. I could not see going back to another team. I had a magnificent, magnificent three decades, but I'm done and I'm on to exciting new adventures and I'm thrilled. See, and that kind of answer is exactly why Raiders fans love you so much, Who Raiders fans who value loyalty among uh, I guess at a premium. Okay. I know that you have a hard out here. We're going to get you out and really quick. I want to get your thoughts on 
Monday Night Football. So it's the Ravens and the Browns. It is in Cleveland. Baltimore is favored by three, which I think is kind of interesting considering their records. There's an over-under of 45 and a half. Lots at stake for both teams. Amy, the Ravens fighting for a playoff berth. The Browns now in position to chase down the Steelers in the AFC North thanks to the Bills win over Pittsburgh last night. And by the way, Cleveland can repay the favors to Buffalo if they win tonight. The Bills clinch a playoff berth. How do you see this one going? Well, I'm thrilled. I can't, you know, to quote one of my favorite players ever, Bart Scott, can't wait. Um, Look, Baker Mayfield is in his third year with his fourth head coach, if we count an interim head coach as one of them, and I will count it. So four head coaches in three years. We're now seeing what Baker may be capable of doing. He's been in three different systems, three years, and it's going to be exciting to me to see how he performs tonight. Going into last week's game, people made the point, well, you know, Cleveland hasn't beaten a team with a winning record. Well, they won last week decisively. And now Mm -hmm. tonight they have an opportunity to beat another team that is good. It is an important game, as you noted. Uh, If you're asking me to predict who I think I will win, I'm happy to do so. But I will let you know I don't do it with respect to odds or anything like that. I simply am going to tell you straight up. Straight up. I think the Cleveland Browns are going to find a way to win this game. You're you're sold on uh, the turn that Baker Mayfield took last week? You know, look, he's turning. I don't know that the turn is absolutely complete. but It's not a hard left. or (laughs) Exactly. Um, (laughs) Look, and and the the defense is playing well. And I, I just, as you noted, there is a lot at stake. And they can repay the bills. And they can take a step forward. And that is not in any way to throw shade at the Ravens. I think the Ravens are capable of good things as well. And, you know, if this game was in Baltimore, even though I recognize home field advantage is not the advantage this year it normally is, I might skew Baltimore, but I'm going to say tonight Cleveland wins. All right. I, too, am going to take the Browns. I'm going to take the points with it also. Uh, Browns at home have held teams to an average of 18.8 points per game. That defense has been balling out at home, and Miles Garrett is having quite a year. Amy Trask, last question. What is your ice cream of choice these days? First of all, I love that you did Raider Cody and gave him a shout-out and looped ice cream into this. Honest to goodness, sincere, Hand in the air, oath. I do not have a favorite ice cream flavor. Equal opportunity lover. It it would be like picking between children, right? How can you pick a favorite? (laughs) Uh, But, and and people with children, don't be offended. I recognize ice cream is not the same as your children. Mm. But I will tell you this. I do not care for ice creams that are smooth, just smooth. I like things with nuggets, chips, bits, whirls, twirls, swirls. I need things in my ice cream. I don't okay. just want plain, smooth ice cream. I need So are you like texture. a Cold Stone person? Somebody who will go get the mix-ins, that type of thing? Oh, no. I'll do ice cream from anywhere. I am not picky. Just, okay. I am not brand specific, but I will. I don't. If you're going to give me a choice of ice creams, I need things that have chips, chunks, bits, nuggets, swirls. sprinkles. Well, everything gets sprinkles. Lindsay, okay, sorry. please. Yeah. Obviously. As Chad Johnson would say, child, please child please what a great way to end this show with amy trask follow her on twitter at amy trask and please don't forget like i did long ago to say hi 
Thank you for doing this, Amy. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you for having me. The honor, privilege, pleasure is all mine. 